Well, welcome back everybody and thanks for tuning in again. Um, I thought since today is Mother's Day, we would talk a little bit about mothers and probably not in the way that you think I'm going to talk about mothers. <clears throat> but um, I will say this, that um, my mother uh, has passed away. She's been gone now for uh, probably seven or ten years now. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, at any rate, um, you may have had the best mother in the world and you love her and you want to do things for her and, you know, you, you respect and love her. And I get that. And I don't want to take that away from you. But if you didn't have a good mother and you struggled with your relationship with her, then this podcast is probably for you. Um, and I'm not going to trash mouth my mother. I'm not going to talk badly about her at all. Uh, if I say anything that sounds bad, it's simply that I'm trying to give you a reference as to where I am today. Um, my mother suffered from mental illness. Um, she was borderline. And if you know much about borderline, um, they, uh, they're, it's a condition that encompasses a lot of emotional ups and downs. Um, it can mimic bipolarism. They can have uh, narcissistic behavior. <clears throat> um, it's just, uh, it's probably one of the most challenging mental illnesses on the uh, spectrum that I'm aware of. Now, there may be some others out there that I'm just not aware of, but uh, with my limited knowledge of it, it it seems to be one of the one of the uh, one of the ones that I think is probably the the most difficult to deal with, especially on the peripheral uh, for children, uh, spouses, and things like that. At any rate, my mother um, was not the best mother she could be. Um, for years and years and years, um, I didn't like my mother. I hated my mother. Because of that, um, she was physically abusive and verbally abusive, and and uh, and because of that, it, it created a lot of issues for me, uh, self-esteem issues, uh, abandonment issues, a lot of fear, a lot of anger. There was a lot of issues that I had to work through that even into my 50s I was in counseling for, um, but I on, on Mother's Day, I want to say that, you know, Mother's Day would roll around when, you know, when my mother was alive and it was difficult for me um, because, you know, there was the, there was the, um, the, I don't know, the, the good son desire to, uh, to be, you know, decent and give her a, a card and say Happy Mother's Day. And then there was the part of me that said, well, why do I want to celebrate a woman who has been cruel to me all my life, <clears throat> or at least most of my life that I can remember. Um, my mother liked babies because they couldn't really talk back. I mean, they couldn't really resist her. Um, and I learned this as I grew up. She loved babies. <clears throat> and um, so as I got older and I became, you know, prepubescent and I had my own opinions, that was not appreciated. And my mother made that very clear to me. And so I think probably as a baby, um, you know, I was probably loved and admired and I was the baby of four boys and, um, 
my mom was married three times and uh, my dad was the last marriage and so it was just me and my brother and uh, she had all boys and I was the baby <laughs> I was her last hope for a girl and you know she wasn't that disappointed that I wasn't a girl but she'd always wanted a little girl <clears throat> and you know looking back in retrospect now I realize I'm glad she didn't have a little girl probably best for the world best for the little girl and best for my mom but um Anyway, um, when Mother's Day would roll around, I would feel the obligatory pull, you know, to to get her something, to get her a card or something. Now, as I got older and I'm and I was married and I had my own wife and and I had children of my own, and you know, my wife became the focus of Mother's Day. Um, I started directing my focus towards my wife and not my mother. And uh, I had a grandmother at the time, my father's mother, who was very near and dear to my heart, who was a excellent person, an excellent grandma. And uh, I remember one year I got her a Mother's Day card, which I, di- I didn't do it to be spiteful because I gave it to her without anybody knowing. But somehow or another, my mother <coughs> came across it and... Um, I will say my grandmother sort of admonished me. She was always the kind of person. She was a good person, my grandmother was. She really was. And she kind of admonished me that, uh, you know, I should get my mother something. There was always that guilt, you know, that, um, that, that I should get my mother something because, you know, she did birth me. And, and, and she's right. I mean, there's, there, was a, there was a certain sense of, of, of obligation there to recognize that she went through you know, the birthing pains and, and, and giving birth to me. And, but the cloud of anger and confusion and abandonment and all the other issues that, that, uh, I attributed to her abuse and neglect, it, it clouded my responsibility a lot of times. And even though I would give her a card or, uh, or a gift or something, I would always feel like it was insincere because it was, it was really insincere. Anyway, I don't mean to go on and on about that. But anyway, uh, my mother found the card, and she was very, very hurt by it. She's very upset about it. But you have to understand the behavior of a borderline person. And um, she it's always about her. Everything's always about her. Um, if it's not, she'll turn it around and make it about her. And I'm sure you know people like that. <clears throat> and um, And I will just tell you, unless they're willing to undergo therapy and admit where they are in, 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 their, in their emotional life and change. And I will just say, um, I'm a firm believer in, in the power of, of God, and I believe that God can change anyone, regardless of their circumstances or where they are. And if they'll allow God to change them, I believe they can be changed. My mother, like so many uh, who suffer from her... Um, condition didn't think that they were in the wrong they believe they are right and everybody else is wrong and they're being you know persecuted by everyone and if you disagree with them then you know you're wrong and so my mother wasn't really willing to see that she was wrong and you know I've heard this before in in alcoholics you know admitting that you're an alcoholic is just half the battle and so my mother wasn't willing to admit that she was wrong. And so 
the evil, vicious cycle continued. And so she found the card. She was mad about it. She never really confronted me about it. She never asked about it. But I noticed a change in her behavior towards me from that point on. Now, it just so happened that that was probably the last, I'd say, five years of her life. Um, and I honestly, I didn't do it to hurt her. I gave it to my grandmother privately and secretly. And I, I also uh, invoked the ire of her biological children, my grandmother's biological children, um, because, you know, they, they made it very clear that she was not my mother. And uh, so I learned a very valuable lesson. <clears throat> Though I loved my grandmother as as I wanted her to be my mother, she wasn't. And I had to come to that realization. And so a, a, a very selfish part of me was uh, fulfilling my own desires to give her a card to assuage my own guilt for not giving it to my mother. And so I was wrong to have done it. I was meeting my needs, not my grandmother's needs, even though I really believed every word I said in the card. So moving right along, if you are... Okay, let me put a pin in that right now. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm making a segue here. I know of a person in my life now, and I want, to rem, I want her to remain anonymous, whose mother was a terrible mother to her, and she is, she is suffering greatly from this. <clears throat> and we have had a conversation, which, which really made me think of this, this podcast, um, the, really the necessity for it, especially today being Mother's Day. Um, because I'm sure I'm, I don't, I'm not the only person who's had a, uh, a difficult or estranged relationship with their, with their mother. <clears throat> and maybe on Father's Day, I'll do a similar podcast, but today it's about moms. But this particular person is, is really just absolutely, um, crippled by the guilt that she feels about her mother and and the and the um and the desire or i guess the guilt that she feels to to um to get her something or to recognize that her mother you know is her mother and so i, I we we were talking and, and i said well she doesn't deserve a recognition. She said, well, I want to give her a card. And I said, well, if you want to give her a card, then, you know, that's fine. Give her a card. But I said, there's not many cards that I know of that don't say happy mother's day. Now, is this a happy day for you? Because it's your mother's, I mean, it's, it's mother's day and you're recognizing that your, your, your mother is your mother. And she said, no, it's not a happy day. And I said, so why would you feel the need or the necessity <clears throat> to um, to call that out and recognize her and recognize this day as a very special day because it's not very special for you. And so whose needs are being met here? And she still, her mother still continues to be the narcissist that she is. <clears throat> now, granted, her mother probably is that way because she was not treated well as a child either. I mean, all behavior is purposeful. I'm not saying that there's not a reason that people act the way they do. I'm sure my mother <coughs> had, you know, a hundred reasons <clears throat> and valid reasons why she acted the way she did. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And I'm sure that this this lady's um, mother has a thousand reasons or more to act the way she does. However, from a healthy relational standpoint, it makes no sense for someone to remain in an unhealthy relationship based on fear or um, or jealousy or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I apologize. My brain is a sieve. I've just learned to accept it and apologize for it. And hopefully it'll circle back around <coughs> or guilt. <coughs> and I do apologize. <coughs> I'm not a smoker, but <coughs> I sleep with a fan on every night and the air conditioned down about 70. And so I develop a lot of phlegm in my uh, lungs and I cough a lot. So I, I do apologize. The coffee usually cuts it up. But no one should be in a relationship where they feel abused or neglected. Um, and it's just not healthy. And so I was talking to this person and I was saying, you need to develop healthy boundaries. Now, if you've ever heard that before, you've probably been in counseling before. You know someone who has. These are counseling words. And because I've been through counseling, I don't pretend to know counseling. I'm not a counselor. I'm not trying to counsel anybody here. I'm just simply telling you. These are things that I have gleaned from my experience through the years, 25 years of nursing and uh, also the counseling that I've gone through personally. And so these are words that I'm throwing out there. I'm not trying to sound like I, I know counseling. I don't have a degree. Um, the lady that I counsel with has, has her master's degree. She's way smarter than I am. She's way more experienced than I am. <clears throat> so I am not pretending to be a counselor at all. So just just let me throw that out there. I'm just telling you from experience, this is where I'm coming from. You can take it or you can leave it. It's just it's like anything else I, I say on here. If you don't like it, um, you know, you don't have to listen. Um, you can turn me off, whatever. Um, but I, I set healthy boundaries with my mother years ago. <clears throat> and I will tell you, when a, when a narcissist... The greatest thing a narcissist is afraid of is being left alone, to being ignored. That is the greatest thing you can do to a narcissist. If a child uh, exhibits narcissist behavior and you put them in the corner, um, that is worse than, than spanking them back when spanking was around. I don't, I don't do spanking. I don't, I don't teach spanking. It's, it's antiquated. <clears throat> um, anyway... It's worse than spanking them. When you when you put a child in a in, in a in a timeout in their room with no way to communicate with with anyone socially, um, and they they are a, a narcissist or they have narcissistic behavior, it's the same as an adult when you ignore their hailing. Say, for instance, this particular person I was telling you about, um, her mom will text her, and she'll text her what's called open end questions where she'll ask her a question that will require a response. And um, typically when someone does that, they're engaging you and she'll do things like force teaming where she'll, she'll say something to make you feel like you're part of her problem. But she'll do it in a way that it's sneaky. And um, like say for instance, um, she's tired and angry and she... And she, you know, gets mad and, you know, has an altercation with you. And then she texts you and says, I'm sorry. 
we've all been very tired. You're tired. I'm tired. Uh, we're just tired. And, and you know, uh, basically saying, you know, you're part of my problem and you experience the same thing I experience. And so therefore, um, me getting mad and cussing at you and getting, you know, angry with you is okay. And, and it's, it's almost like they make you the bad person or they make you part of the, 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 the bad person. <clears throat> and they're very good at that because they've learned human behavior. <clears throat> Narcissists are very, very um, good at giving ground to take ground. It's like taking one step forward and three steps backwards. You're never really getting anywhere, but you're constantly moving. And um, someone who's been a narcissist all of their life, and this, this person's mother has been a narcissist for as long as she can remember. So on Mother's Day, it's a trigger. And this trigger is probably, it's a pretty big trigger. I wouldn't say it's the worst, but it's a big trigger for her <clears throat> because it's a reminder not just in her life, but everywhere she looks, on TV, on social ads, social media, um, in her church, in her work, you know, because there are people out there who have healthy relationships with their mom and uh, they talk about their mom in, in a very healthy way. You know, they love their mom. I remember the first time I heard... Um, some girls that I knew in college, this has been back in the uh, probably mid-80s, mid, mid to late 80s, <clears throat> and uh, I remember hearing these girls talk, they were two sisters, and they said something that I've never forgotten. They said, we had the best mom, or we have the best mom in the world, and I thought, wow, that is amazing that they would say that, because I've never, I could never say that. My brother could never say that. Um and I wondered, you know, what would that feel like? And so I think about this lady and her mom. And I think, you know, how would it feel to be, to love your mom? You know, um, one of my coworkers, you know, um, she has a, a stressful relationship with her mom, but not so much that she wouldn't, you know, go see her on Mother's Day and wish her a happy Mother's Day and, and see that, you know, beyond the the faults, you know, that everybody has, everybody's, nobody's perfect. I'm sure I'm not the greatest father in the world either. When, you know, when my kids are grown, they'll probably look back and say, you know, dad did this or he did that. But I hope that they'll say that I was a good dad. I know that they'll say that, you know, their mom was a good mom. You know, they don't have the the experience yet. They don't have the, the, um, the ability to look back on life with, with, with retrospect. Um, you know, my life is, is almost at the end. You know, I'm in the twilight of my life. I mean, realistically speaking, <clears throat> I um, I can look back in the rearview mirror and compare it to um, a long list of mothers that I've seen and, and compare it. And then I can look at myself introspectively and say, well, where do I fit into all this? Are my kids going to grow up and say I had a great dad? Does my wife feel like the kids are going to grow up and say they had a great mom? I think so. My wife has really worked hard to be a good mom. You know, that's not to say that, you know, she hadn't lost her cool through the years or, you know, like any parent, kids will drive you to, you know, lose your patience with them. Uh, but, you know, she's never beat our kids. She's never 
abused our kids or emotionally abused them or physically or done anything that, you know, um, that this lady's mom did to her. And so we lead by example. And often our example is what we grew up with. And unfortunately, statistically, um, and we, and I will say this, it's not about color. It's about the availability of, of funds or finances or resources. And I grew up extremely poor. You've heard some other podcast, I'm sure. And um, we grew up without food in the house and things like that and, you know, without clothing and stuff. And so we grew up in poverty. Now, there were always people who had it worse than us. And uh, we recognized that even at the time, you know. But I say black, white, brown, yellow, it doesn't really matter. It matters today, not color, but your financial resources. And yes, there are <clears throat> unhealthy families that are, that are extremely wealthy. There are unhealthy families that are upper middle class. There are unhealthy families that are middle class. There are upper there there are there are lower middle class families that are unhealthy. Unhealthy families reach across the spectrum. It doesn't matter if they're black or white, but let's just be honest. Okay? In many of your lower income uh families where, you know, there's a single mom involved, the resources are limited, the stress is higher, um, they make a lot of poor choices, which my parents did, it sort of a it, it attributes to a lot of the behavior there. And so I'm not saying that it's not fair. I don't believe in the fair. I, I think the fair comes once a year and usually around October here in our town. But I'm saying, realistically, there are a lot of folks out there <coughs> who can identify with what I'm saying. If you're one of those people, then just know that you shouldn't feel guilty about today. I don't want you to feel guilty about it. I want you to stand proud and stand tall and set a healthy boundary with yourself as much as with others and especially with your mother. And if your mother's gone, I can tell you the first thing you need to do and the most important thing to do is to forgive yourself. And I know this sounds like, you know, psychobabble BS, but it's not. And again, I'm not a I'm not a professional counselor. I'm not even a, a pretend counselor, okay? And I didn't sleep at a Holiday Inn last night. But I'm telling you, from experience, forgive yourself, okay? And and then forgive the person that that did whatever they did to you. And by you forgiving yourself, you open the door to forgive them, because I can tell you that unforgiveness will eat at you like cancer. And it will eat you alive and it will wear you down to a, to a nub, as we say down here in the South. And so forgive that person, but also forgiving them doesn't mean you have to have contact with them. You know, if they're not good for you, I know so many people whose moms are not good to them and they're grown adults with their own families and they're twisted and and concerned and there's they're they're guilt-ridden because they feel badly because their moms will make them feel badly because they're narcissists and they'll they'll sit and they'll cry and cry and cry 
And, and I'll speak to their husbands who say, you know, my wife is just miserable because her wife, because her mom's making her miserable. And, you know, she said, nobody, you know, nobody comes to see me and nobody cares about me. And, and the mom will just go on and on and on. And this girl, you know, she'll cry and cry and cry. <laughs> and I'm not talking about somebody who's ignorant. <clears throat> this girl's got her master's degree. She's very smart. She's a professional. It doesn't matter how degreed you are, how smart you are, how intelligent you are, how rich you are, or how poor you are. <clears throat> we are human beings and we long for relationships, especially, especially with those that raised us. Because that's the way God created us. God made us that way so we would want relationships. So relationships are very important. But I can also tell you, for your own sanity, setting healthy boundaries with someone who isn't ready to, to accept that they are needing professional help. And, and honestly, if they're over 50 and they're not, I'll just, well, I'll say 60 because I'm 55 and I'm going through counseling too. If they're, if they're over 60 and they are still the same, I'd say chances are they're not going to change. They don't want to change. They might want to change. Let me rephrase that. They might want to change, but it's too hard for them. Change is hard for people as they get older. <clears throat> I know that because I'm older. You got to want to be different. You got to want to change. So forgive yourself, forgive your mother, but you don't have to reach out to her. You don't have to call her. You don't have to accept her text. You don't even have to you don't even have to explain to her, Mom, I've moved on. I'm setting healthy boundaries with you. Okay, because with a narcissist, they actually feed off of that. You're actually feeding them. You're giving, you're, they're like a car and you're pouring, you're pouring gasoline into their tank. When you cut them off <clears throat> and you don't respond to them, and, you, and, and it's better if you live far away because then they can't just pop over. You can ignore their text. You can even block them on your phone. Okay, This is setting up healthy boundaries. <clears throat> I'm not saying this is easy. It's going to be hard for you, and you're going to want to go back on it because your guilt is going to eat you alive. But you need a husband or a spouse that will say, or a partner that will support you and say, you know what, it's okay. Because I know of a husband who had to tell his wife <laughs> a similar situation. He told the mother-in-law, if you need to communicate with my wife, you communicate with me. And then I will tell her what is important. Well, she didn't like that at all. But she liked the fact that he was talking to her. But then she would communicate with him a lot. And he realized through her text and her phone calls that she was very narcissistic and that his wife was absolutely correct. And so... He began to ignore her text and ignore her, her phone calls while the wife knew that her husband was taking care of this for her. She could relax. She didn't have to worry about her mom anymore because she knew their husband was taking care of it. Now, I don't know the outcome of that situation, but I know that the mother, the, the wife was, was doing much better. She was learning to set healthy boundaries. And this starts in our life early. And unfortunately, if we don't do it early in life, then we, we, we learn to do it later in life. And sometimes, you know, when people set healthy boundaries, we might say, well, they're an asshole if they're a guy. Or we might say, boy, she's a bitch. You know? 
and the truth of the matter is, is like, you know, if somebody says, hey, I want you to go do so-and-so, and you're like, no, I can't do it that day. Well, why not? I really need you that day. Well, I can't do it that day. Well, why can't you? Tell me why. No, I don't owe you an explanation. I don't owe you anything. I'm telling you that I can't do it, and that's the end of the story. That's setting a healthy boundary. Now, they might walk away saying, well, boy, that, that guy's a real asshole. I just asked him to do so-and-so, and he said he couldn't do it. Well, no, you need to respect my boundaries that I'm setting for you. You know, it's like when, when in, my, in my line of work, if somebody says, I need you to call me ASAP. Well, poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on mine. And if I can't call you ASAP, <clears throat> unless you sign my check or I'll work for you, I'm not calling you ASAP. My boss has probably only asked me to call him a, as soon as possible a few times since I've worked for him. Now, I will call my boss because I work for him and I respect him, but I serve at his pleasure. But when I have someone in the community who says, you know, you're going to do this or you're going to do that, you know, I, I am not going to do that. And I've actually had to tell some people, let me stop you right there. Okay, I am not going to do that. I'm not going to change my mind. <clears throat> you know, and a lot of times, and I'd say almost every single time, when you set a healthy boundary with someone and you, someone who is not used to, or say, for instance, someone who bullies you into doing something, and they may not do it mean, they may not do it where they're being mean to you, but they may do it in such a per persuasive way, kind of like when you buy a car and you really you, you leave the lot and you think, my God, I really didn't want to buy this car, but they talked you into it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been at the store and you're thinking about buying something and then the salesman's there back when they had salesmen and you'll walk away and you'll think, well, I should have, I should have went home. I should have gone to the house and thought about this over the weekend and then made the decision then. Salesmen know that if they can get you to buy, a perfect example of this is timeshare. How many times have you, if you live in Florida, if you've been to Florida and you see these big billboards as you get closer to Orlando, um, sell your timeshare, uh, sell your timeshare. We buy timeshares. We, you know, they do that because there's so much buyer's remorse in timeshares. I know because I have sat through a timeshare, three hours for tickets to Disney back in the day, like before my kids were even born, my wife and I went down and I said, hey, we, we get free tickets. <clears throat> and I sat through it, walked through the tour, ate the cheap hot dogs and the canned Coke and, and listened to this, you know, greasy smoke filled breath of this salesman sitting across from me at this table in a room full of, you know, uh, four or five hundred people and a cacophony of noise <clears throat> and this everybody's, you know, from out of town and they've, they've got this deer in the headlight look and you, you feel like it's this massive car sales. And this guy's trying to sell you a, a two bedroom apartment on a, you know, in a beautiful little resort for, <clears throat> you know, back then it was like, you know, 15, 16,000. That was a long time ago. I'll tell you how long ago it was. But I remember sitting there and I'd already made up my mind before I went in there we're not buying a timeshare. They're not worth the money. I've already done the research. We're not doing it. I'm giving them three hours of my life for two tickets to Disney. <laughs> and so when he said, well, well, how about uh, we get $500 earnest money? And I said, uh, no, I'm not interested. And um, he kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing. Finally, he gets up and he goes and gets somebody else. 
Then they bring in the second team, and there now there's two of them they're trying to sell me something. Well, I'd already decided my healthy boundary was I was not going to buy. And I explained to them, I don't buy on the spot. You give me the information, let me do the research, I will do it on my own, and if I'm interested, I will let you know. Now, I'm sure they were thinking, this guy's he's a hard sell, but we're going to break him. Well, they're not, because I'm, I can be an asshole when I need to. It's my superhero secret strength. <clears throat> now, it's funny that I can do that with strangers, but when it comes to family members, it's like they're kryptonite to my superhero strength. Now, that is a conundrum to me. But as I've gotten older and I've gone through counseling, and of course my parents are dead, it makes it much easier. I have learned to set healthy boundaries. So I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that this is going to be easy for you to set a healthy boundary with someone who raised you uh, or someone who is your mother, whether they raised you or not. It doesn't really matter. There's a relationship there and it's a long-term relationship. It's not going to be easy. I would recommend counseling. If you have a church and you attend a church, Maybe there's counseling inside your church. Find someone who's qualified. Find someone who has a degree in counseling, not just someone who reads the Bible and they mean well, because you want someone who's been through training. You want someone who has some experience, okay? Not to poo-poo those who, who do theophostic counseling. I, I'm, I understand there's a, there's a counseling out there that's theophostic, and maybe you've heard of it, and I'm not trying to put them down. Uh, theophostic counseling has its place in, in the world. I personally prefer the counseling that I have now is through a counselor who literally went to college and she got her master's degree. Um, even if she had her master's, if she wasn't a good counselor, I wouldn't keep going back. But she uses the word of God. Now, you may be an atheist. You may be a non-believer. You may be a Catholic or a Mormon or a Baptist or a whatever you are. It doesn't really matter. You may not think that God has a place in counseling. That's fine, too. That's really fine. I don't put anybody down for whatever. Get counseling. Find counseling. Somewhere or another, find counseling because counseling is going to help you because this took years and years and years and years of your life to get you to where you are today. It's going to take serious counseling to get you back to where you need to be normal. So on this Mother's Day, I'm sorry that it probably wasn't the best message that you thought it would be. But hopefully, I'm talking to some people out there. If you're still listening now, then you probably can identify with what I'm saying. And so first of all, let me say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry from a heart that knows what it's like to battle on days where we are expected socially to respect and love our mothers who we don't want to love and respect. I get it. And I'll do another one of these on Father's Day. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I'm sorry that you weren't treated with kindness. And I'm sorry that you, you weren't treated as the precious soul that you really are. And I'm sorry that you probably made a lot of bad decisions in your life based on the way you felt about yourself. And you devalued your image. And you devalued yourself. And you put yourself in harm's way. And you allowed other people to put you in harm's way. And you didn't think about anything that would protect you or save you. You were just looking for someone who would fill the role that your mom should have already filled for you. So I'm truly sorry for you, but I can tell you there is a light at the end of the tunnel. As someone who has gone through that dark valley 
and come out on the other side of the mountain, there's light on the other side. If you're willing to do the hard work, there's light on the other side. You won't do it overnight. It won't happen in a couple of days, even a couple of months. It may not even happen in a couple of years, but I promise you the first step is the hardest step, and that's admitting that you need to forgive yourself because you've probably, you are probably your worst enemy. And so forgive yourself first. That's a big step. Find your partner, whether it be your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever. I don't really care. Straight, gay, it doesn't matter. Whatever relationship you're in, it's going to take someone who is in that relationship with you to be supportive. And I'm guaranteeing that if they love you, and if you're with them, they probably do, that they'll understand this. And then find a good counselor. So that these days, like Mother's Day, doesn't derail you on Friday. You know, or the Monday before. Or the Monday afterwards. When everybody's talking about all their mothers and how wonderful they are. And you have to listen to all that. And you don't want to go into all the crap that your mother did to you. Because, you know, it just, it sounds like you're bitching and moaning and complaining. So you sit there quietly and you suffer quietly. Find help. Start by forgiving yourself. And I know this was a long one. I apologize, but I, I hope you got something out of it. And um, I hope you'll, you'll, you'll find some nugget of truth in all of this. Thanks for tuning in and, and, and uh, we'll talk again.